Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. I want to invite Mike Hite to come up and share with you the Word of God today so that he can bring to you this message of what it means that even in perilous times, to experience peace. Would you welcome Mike? Thank you, Pastor Steve. Man, I, I love doing this. I love being with my people. The, the people of God. I love how you said that, Pastor Steve. Fellowship is extremely important during this time, and it's always an honor and privilege to serve the Word of God to you, my soul family. So... I want to start off uh, by sharing a comment with you that I read, and uh, I found it on the internet, so you know it's got to be true, right? <laughs> this person said, by following the simple advice I read in an article, I have finally found inner peace. The article read, the way to achieve inner peace is to finish all the things you've started. So I looked around the house to see all the things I started and hadn't finished. And before leaving the house this morning, I finished off a bottle of red wine a bottle of white wine, the Prozac, some cheesecake, the donuts, and a box of chocolates. You have no idea how good I feel now. <laughs> now we can laugh at that as obviously an exaggerated joke, but I want to say, sadly for many people, these are some things that they are hoping and deceived and believing will bring them peace. Yeah, things like finishing tasks, food, alcohol even, may even make you feel good for a moment. But there's no lasting substance in that. And we know that. And so our culture's endless search for inner peace continues. Back on March 22nd, I preached a sermon titled Peace Problems. You might remember that. We don't have time to review the contents. So I encourage you to go back. You can actually watch it on HEC's YouTube channel. You can access all the past sermons of this year there. You can access it through your app and, of course, um, through uh, your website, and it's on Facebook as well. But if you remember, we examine Jesus' Jesus's promises to all believers that all Christians have a promise from him directly. Let's take a look at that. It's John 14, 27. John 14, 27. He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So Jesus said to his disciples then at that time, and he's saying to us today, I give you peace. Which naturally led us to ask, well, hey, if Jesus is offering peace, why am I not experiencing it? And if you remember, the answer to that was because we have peace problems. Now, when I originally began writing the peace problems sermon, well, the Holy Spirit revealed to me that we got a lot more peace problems than I anticipated. And I just really had too much content to fit into one sermon. And that's a common preacher problem, by the way. So I did my very best to fit it onto a second sermon. I, I did my best, and that just wasn't happening either. So really what, happened, what started as one sermon turned into a, a series. So I'm going to give you part two today, and then three and four sometime in the near future if the Lord wills it. I titled our sermon for today, Peace Problems, Volume 2, Peace Perils. We're going to talk about things that are perils to our peace. Things that are dangerous, are, are threatening and hazardous. 
And we have to take a proactive precaution to avoid these or do some damage control, if you will, if we have found they have crept their way back into our life. Now, as we go through this, one or two of these might resonate with you. The Holy Spirit might tug on your heart a little bit, leading you to say, yeah, you know what, that is, that is a problem I struggle with. And I encourage you, take what the Holy Spirit gives to you today from this sermon and do a Bible study on it. Search out verses that address the, the topic that, that we cover that resonates with you. Pray about it. Verbally invite the Holy Spirit into that specific problem you identify with. See, this is a main part of what Pastor Steve means when he emphasizes that we as a church connect Sunday to Monday. It is indeed how we connect with God on a personal level with the issues. It's, it's how we grow and mature as Christians. And it is, in fact, how we grow closer and feel closer to God, connecting with him with our issues and problems. So with that being said, let's pray together and ask the Holy Spirit to address these peace problems together. Father, I, I thank you for this opportunity. I pray that uh, as I deliver your word, that my words will be your words. Help us, Father, prepare our hearts and our ears. Show us what problems that we have in our lives regarding peace. Lord, I thank you. Let me be your vessel. Let me be your prism today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, over the series, I've broken down the, relate, the uh, peace problems into three relational categories. Uh, God, self, and others. Because at HCC, our mandate is to love God, love self, love others, right? We're nurturing that. So today, the perils are going to focus on our relationship with God. What problems we have with our relationship with God that may be disrupting our peace. So with all that being said, let's dive into it. You guys ready? Yeah. All right. What's our first peril? Should be up on the screen there. Or not. I'll just tell you. Our first peril is perverted priorities. Perverted priorities. Now, the Bible throughout distinctly provides a framework for how the Christian is to prioritize things in their life. And I think the clearest example of this is in Matthew 22. Pastor Steve has told on this numerous times. I preached back on it in January, and it is foundational to our church doctrine. This passage, it really should be permanently tattooed on our minds and our hearts. You know, right, right, right there, tattooed right there, all right? Matthew 22, 36, 40. Let's take a look at it together. So turn or scroll there, if you will. Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So, with that foundation in mind, with that fresh in mind, I want you to listen to these scriptures. You don't have to turn here, but just listen to them. Exodus 20, verse 3. It's the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first what, church? Very good. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. A lot of us love this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So I want you to do me a favor. You at home, there online, and you in the sanctuary here, I just want you to hold up 
the number that you think the Bible teaches God should be on everybody's priority list. Go ahead and just hold it up. Good. Number one. One of the most devastating things to our peace, and really the one problem that all our peace problems will cover today can be linked back to, is that of perverted priorities. That is, removing God from His number one rightful spot in our lives. When the power rankings of our life come out, you know, sports fans, you track me on that, right? You know what power rankings are. If God is not leading the pack at number one, our peace is in great peril. If not absent already. And not only our peace, but everything in our life becomes in danger at that point. Everything that is important to us, our, our relationships, our mental and emotional wellness, and yes, and even in some cases, our eternal destiny, where we go after we die. No other person, place, or thing in this world has the capacity or the capability to carry the load of that number one spot in our lives other than Yahweh, God himself. Hence the Bible's importance on making and keeping God priority number one. Immovable number one. Undefeated numero uno in the power rankings. If we put a husband there, if we put a wife there, if we put a boyfriend there, if we put a girlfriend there, if we put children there, family, friends, career, comfort, power, or pleasure there, the consequences will be devastating both for us and the object that we place there. Now, one good tool that we can use to audit our priority list is our bank statements. Ooh, we went there. Yeah, I went there. Well, Jesus went there. He said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Very good. What do we spend our money on? Well, what fraction of it goes towards the things of God, like tithe, offering, and acts of benevolence to others? What about our time? How much time is committed to things up here on the sides? Ministry, worship, discipleship, fellowship, and evangelism. How about your love? Can we say with confidence, I love God more than I love myself? How about I love God more than my husband, my wife, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, my children? Jesus gives us some sobering words in Matthew 10, verse 37. He said, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, that is, if we love ourselves more than we love him, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. You see, priority number one in all of our lives, it's a throne. Every aspect of our lives, our relationships, our money, our careers, our sex, our romance, our time, our parenting, they all answer to that number one spot. If we are to experience the peace from the Prince of Peace, we need to dethrone the imposter gods. We need to dethrone the imposter kings and start exalting Christ back upon his rightful place on that throne. Christians of the United States of America, I'm talking to us here. Let us stop living like we are the King of Kings, like we are the Lord of Lords over our lives. 
and surrender that title back to the only one who actually deserves it. The only one who can actually handle such a title. Turn on the news. You'll see how well human beings are handling that title. It is then, and only then, will we experience the peace. The Prince of Peace has left us the peace that He gave to us. We'll do well to continually examine our priorities and arrange them accordingly. And as you will see, as we go forward here, everything we talk about today, it pertains back to this vital responsibility on our part, and it's a choice. What's our principle for this one? The principle for the peril. Always let him prioritize your life. Next peril. Living beyond the walls. When we move God from the number one spot, there is an inevitable propensity to live beyond the walls. That is, the walls of his will, the walls of his word. So you know walls can be looked at in two different ways, right? Walls can be looked at as a way to trap people, to limit them, to restrict them, to deprive them of the freedom that exists outside those walls. And it's true, yeah. Tyrant kings and rulers have used it for such purposes. They've used walls for that. They, they used it to oppress the people they were over, you know, locking the city gates and placing armed guards there with orders to arrest or even kill anyone who tries to leave. However, we must not forget the other way to perceive walls. Yes, walls can be used for the purpose of oppression, but they are also used for the purpose of protection. Walls in history were constructed to keep the people of the kingdom safe. Uh, safe from dangers of wild animals, thieves, and robbers that like to roam around in the wilderness outside those walls, waiting to attack. And of course, they provided protection and safety from the kingdom's rival enemies that seek to bring war on the king's people. Now, we have a choice. We have a choice to look at God's will for humanity, that being his word, his laws, in the same manner. We can take the erroneous and deceived individualistic humanistic view that the walls around God's kingdom are no more than religious prisons, keeping those inside from experiencing the fullness of human potential and freedom that living beyond those walls promises. Oh, we recognize that voice well, don't we? It's the voice of our culture. Oh, what amazing pleasures and enjoyment and happiness wait outside those dreadful, restricting, oppressive walls of this religion you have changed yourself to. Or more simply, hashtag YOLO! Older people, you can ask a younger person what hashtag YOLO is later. See, what I wrestle with personally, I wrestle with romanticizing my past sin. Are you ever tempted to do that? That's where you look back on old sinful habits that God has delivered you out of, and you find yourself reminiscing of, oh, how fun and pleasurable those things were. Then you start to think and feel things like, ah, oh, man, I just really miss looking at that porn and all those one-night stands. Man, what I would do to be able to do that stuff again. Ah, oh, those wild parties, getting drunk on Friday night with my friends. Those were some fun times. Well, I can't do that anymore. Oh, I love that music. It just made me feel so good listening to that. Man, God, why, why did you have to convict me listening to that? I miss my old friends. I wish I could hang out with them. But as a Christian, I shouldn't be around those type of people doing those types of things. 
you see what happens there? When those feelings and thoughts come up, we are being tempted to view God's walls as instruments of oppression. Now, if you want to buy into that deceptive lie, we can. Oh, and the world's cultural, they'll be more than happy to oblige you on that. Or, in every situation, we can take the truthful and biblically informed correct view that the walls around God's kingdom are there for our protection and our safety. Walls that are, in fact, there for our freedom. Freedom from the oppressive, enslaving adversary that roams outside those walls looking for whom he may devour. It's 1 Peter 5.8. God's laws, his rules, his commandments, they are there for our protection. We have to be careful because it's so easy, and I struggle with this too, to have those lies whispered in our ear that slander God's purpose for saying thou shalt not. We have to realize God wants what is best for you and I. And that major part of that means protecting us from the things that are perilous to our peace and our very lives. I heard a pastor say one time, and it, it really stuck with me when I heard him say this. He said, when God says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. Take a look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a beautiful passage about God's word. A fun fact for you, it's actually the longest chapter in the Bible. So think about that. Think about it for a minute. The longest chapter in the Bible is a passage describing the nature of the Bible itself. Just something that you want. So I encourage you, you go, back, go back this week and read it on your own. Um, but I'm going to give you some verses that really drive home the point that we're making here. I originally had 20 of them, but I painfully had to narrow that down. So verse 1. Joyful of our people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Verse 29. I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. Verse 35, make me walk along the paths of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. Verse 45, I walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. Verse 52, I meditate on your age-old regulations, O Lord. They comfort me. Verse 61, evil people try to drag me into sin, but I am firmly anchored to your instructions. Verse 80, may I be blameless in keeping your decrees, then I will never be ashamed. 92, 93, if your instructions hadn't sustained me with joy, I would have died in my misery. I will never forget your for commandments, for by them you give me life. Verse 114, you are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. And 165, I think it sums up beautifully what we're saying here. Those who love your instructions have great peace. And do not stumble. We have to acknowledge the reality that the opposite is true when it comes to these verses. When we are living beyond the walls, and a lot of us can attest to this personally, there is a loss of joy. There comes discouragement. 
There is sorrow, shame, uncertainty, death, hopelessness, and a continuous absence of peace. Where are you living today? Where would you say you spend most of your time? Are you living as a wanderer out in the perilous wilderness? Or are you living as a citizen of the protected kingdom? I exhort you, let us stop living behind, beyond the walls and, and take refuge inside the secure, safe, peaceful protection of living according to his word. What's our principle here? Live within the walls of his word. Let's go on to our next one, our next peril. Bad theology. The word theology comes from the combination of two Greek words. Theos, which translates God, and legio, which often referred to a branch of study. In English, theology literally means the study of God. In our day and age, it can also be used in a broader application to refer to one's ideas or interpretations about God, the Bible, and really Christianity as a whole. I want to say there are so many out there that lack peace because of wrong theological teachings. So many lacking peace due to exposure to harmful attitudes based on misunderstandings or false doctrine as it relates to God, the Bible, and the Christian walk. I'm even coming alongside one, someone right now, who is one of the strongest Christians I know. But because for years it was portrayed to them that God's persona was that of a hard, severe, militant despot that is just waiting to smite you if you step out of line. And because of that, they are painfully lacking in peace. I'm sure some of you can very much relate to this person if you were raised up in a Christianity that portrayed God in that manner. Other views portray God on the opposite loose end of the spectrum, depicting him as somewhat of a cosmic, permissive, hippie love genie who exists to make our lives comfortable. While still other positions of theology may portray him as impersonal, uh, and detached, somewhat aloof, uh, an out there being that kind of just lets the chips fall where they may in relation to the universe's existence. In no way can we possibly expound on the attributes of God in this lesson today. That's really a whole sermon series in itself. But what I do want to say is that all the aforementioned ideologies, they are examples of bad theology. All of which have played and still play today a significant role in robbing the Christian of living in the peace that comes from knowing with confidence the true God of all creation. Thus, we once again return to the importance of the Christian study and application of the Word of God. God should not be shaped by our, or any human beings for that matter, thoughts, feelings, or theories. There is serious peril in doing that. I've quoted this before. One of the Bible teachers I listened to on a regular basis, he, he had a professor that said this. He said, I had a lot of bad theology teachers in my life, but the worst one of all has been my feelings. All perceived biased opinions and otherwise, they need to be left at the door as we enter into the very words that God himself uses to describe him, himself, his nature. Psalm 138.2. Now, I want to read out of the New King James Version. 
Yeah, right on. Uh, <laughs> I want to read out of uh, the King James here because I feel like it really captures well what the psalmist is communicating. So this is Psalm 138.2. I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For here it is. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Theologian Albert Barnes said this in his commentary of this passage, quote, Since it is by the name that we designate or distinguish anyone, and thus understood, the meaning would be that the word of God, the revelation which he has made of himself and of his gracious purposes to mankind, is superior in clearness and importance to all other manifestations which he has made of himself, all that can be known of him in his works, end quote. And so what does that all mean? Well, it means if you truly want to know God, know your Bible. Let sound biblical teaching shape, or at this point, reshape your view of God. And then, as Ephesians 4.14 says, we will not be tossed here and there and carried about by every wind of doctrine. More on that verse later. Now, this will also prevent us from experiencing what I call shrinking God syndrome. You know what that is? Oh, that's when we're cruising along in the Christian life and things are going good. Oh, we're being blessed and you know what? God is on the throne. Oh, he's over all things, yeah. Unstoppable God, let your glory go on and on. You know, who can stop the Lord Almighty? But then, all of a sudden, something doesn't go the way we want it to or the way we expect it to. And some God, somehow God has toppled over as sovereign over the universe. Emotional, financial, economic, or political hardship strikes. And all of a sudden, God gets a lot smaller in our eyes. Oh, we have no problem exalting and praising his sovereignty, that is, his control over absolutely everything, when things are going the way we think they should go. But as soon as life deviates from our expectations, we act as if God has seemingly shrunk in his size and his power and his control. Now, logically, in our minds, we know nothing could be further from the truth. But do our actions, or more so, our reactions to things reflect such an attitude? I'd say this was a very critical reality for all of us to con examine considering we have something pretty major coming up for our country in November. No, I'm not talking about Thanksgiving. Although Thanksgiving is a critical holiday in my family. What if COVID cancels Thanksgiving this year? I hope not. Look, guys, bottom line, don't let bad theology rob your peace. Error and misconception destroy peace. Truth brings life to it. Wisdom brings life to it. Know and recognize the God of the Bible as he is, as he describes himself by his word. What's our principle for this parable? Truly know him who you serve. Let's go on to our last parable. Call this one Kitty Christianity. Kitty Christianity. Where did he get this one from? I want you to take a look at these passages with me. First one's going to be in Hebrews 5. Now, as you're turning there, scrolling there, give you a little context. 
The writer of Hebrews is describing to Christians Jesus' nature as our high priest. And he wants to go more into detail about this, but he's kind of stopped by a problem that they're having. He picks up with this in verse 11. There's much more we'd like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Ouch. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone else to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skills to recognize the difference between right and wrong. 1 Corinthians 3. It's the Apostle Paul. We all know him, right? 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to the world, as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you're still not ready. You were still controlled by your sinful nature. You were jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you were controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? Last passage, Ephesians 4. And this is Paul speaking about God's purpose for the apostles, pastors, and teachers delivering the word of God to his people. Verse 13. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and the knowledge of God's Son so that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, The writer of Hebrews and the Apostle Paul in these passages were using the physical and mental maturity of a child as a metaphor for the Christian's spiritual maturity in their walks with Christ. Now, what exactly is spiritual maturity? Well, the passages actually reveal that answer for us. Spiritual maturity is a matter, it's a combination of two indispensable, inseparable components. How well we know the Word of God, and how much we are putting it into action in our lives. Know the Word, do the Word. Know the word, do the word. Know the word, do the word. Church, what's spiritual maturity? Good. Just make sure you're still awake. Look, I'm not trying to belabor this, but one of our biggest problems as a global church, it passionately drives me personally to do the ministry I feel God has called me to do, is that we sit contently taking in and living out a kitty Christianity. Biblical teachings that are superficial, feel good only, and have politically correct governance. Christian lives that are lived out in self-centeredness, moral compromise, and spiritual hypocrisy. Look, there's nothing wrong with being a baby. Babies are wonderful. No offense, babies out there. Baby Embry, you're out there. No offense. No offense. Babies are wonderful. They're, they're, they're supposed to drink milk. The babies are supposed to wear cute little baby clothes. Babies are supposed to have meltdowns when things don't go the way they want them to. Babies are supposed to have dirty diapers that 
the changing. That's, that's all normal. What's abnormal is when grown men and, men and women are doing these things. Think of it this way. New Christians are going to be immature in the faith. Yet they too are wonderful and full of amazing potential. New Christians are not supposed to know the Bible well or be acquainted with core theological concepts of the faith. New Christians are supposed to have sinful indulgences in their life that are in need of removing. New Christians are supposed to be unskilled in things like giving a defense of our faith or lack the boldness to explain someone, to someone why what the culture is promoting is wrong. But just as the created order calls for an infant to grow out of living as a baby and grow into living as an adult, so does it call for the new, immature Christian to grow out of such things and every year grow more and more into the image of their Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a tragedy when God's very own people are not growing out of being immature believers. We are apathetically living as kiddie Christians. And the problem really is a summation of all the other ones we talked about today. Our priorities are perverted because we don't vet them against how God says we should prioritize them. We live beyond the walls because we allow ourselves to be led around by our old passions and our old pleasures of our flesh instead of the Bible. We have bad theology because we just show up on Sunday or tune in to the service on Facebook or YouTube and wanting to be entertained by the people up on the stage. And then we spend little to no time getting to know our God Monday through Saturday with Bible study, life group, podcast, reading. When we remain in a state of kiddie Christianity and do not grow into the image of our Lord as we are called to do, we are deprived of the blessed peace that the ever-growing Christian experiences in a zealous pursuit after a God they know with assurance loves them beyond comprehension. If we want peace in our lives, we cannot be satisfied with status quo religiosity. We cannot remain in a state of kitty Christianity. What's our last principle? Nurture and mature your relationship with him. I'm going to wrap things up. You know, it's such a beautiful and often take it for granted thing that we could even say that last phrase, relationship with God. The solution to our peace problems, and I really hope you didn't take this sermon as such, is, is not to be more religious. It's not to do more good deeds, not to know more Bible facts and figures. No. It's about diving deeper into love with a person who desires you just the way you are right now. Whatever state you are in, he wants you he wants you to know how much he adores you. He wants you to know that he desires to be for you, not against you. It's Romans 8, 31. There is a God who created you. He is knowable, and he never stops calling out to us. The only one true God of all existence has lovingly provided us with how to prioritize our lives 
to experience maximum fulfillment from his creation. He has constructed walls of safety to protect us from the, and shelter us from the dangers that we are too weak to resist and be ravaged by. He has given us his book all about him, that we may know him, not as some mysterious deity, but as a person to connect, commune, and cohabitate with. And most of all, he gave us himself. Colossians 3, our last scripture for the day, 6 through 15. And now, just as you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So, also, you are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Church, I said every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not as a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record that, of the charge against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Victory, church. Victory. Meditate on that word this week. Jesus Christ, God the Son, always existing, no beginning, no end, added humanity to his nature at a real point in our world's history and lived a perfect life without sin. He then took on the fullness of punishment for every single one of our sins past, present, and future by having his innocent, pure, and perfect hands pierced for our transgressions, pierced with our transgressions on the cross. By doing so, he snatched all who would ever believe in him from, who, from forever suffering in a real terrifying place called hell after they leave this world by death. He saved us. He gave himself up for us that we may have peace with God, that we may have peace from God, that we may have peace in God. How much more? How much more? should we give of ourselves in response to this love, this undeserved offer of mercy, grace, and peace. That is where true, lasting, resilient, enduring peace is found, my friends. 
There's no peace apart from him. There's no peace without him. For it will be always, as you have heard me say before, peace is a person. and His name is Jesus. Will you stand with me? Right now, we're going to transition into what we call our spiritual response. And things are a little different now because of COVID. But I encourage you online, don't click close. Don't click close. I know there's a lot of other tempting videos lined up in your feed right now, but, but don't, don't click close just yet. This is an opportunity. An opportunity. The worship team is going to lead us in a song, just one song. And it's our opportunity, wherever you are, whether you're at home, you're at work, maybe you're not even listening to this live. Maybe you've caught it later in the week. It doesn't matter. God is there. Christ was called Emmanuel, God with us. Pastor Steve has been teaching us over the past couple months the secret of life, Christ in us. You know what that means, church? He's always available. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't take a break. Nobody listening now, you may say, you know what? I'm not really sure if I have Christ in me. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. The God of all creation. He's not busy with the problems in the Middle East. He's not busy trying to figure out what he's going to do with this pandemic. No. He's interested in you right now. Right now, whatever you're going through. I always say that God is big enough to take care of the big problems. But he's also big enough take care of our problems that we consider minor on like a world scale. No, not our God. He's never too busy for you. He loves you. There's a couple ways you can respond. Of course, you can respond right where you are. You can kneel down at home. You can kneel down here in the sanctuary in front of you. Also, we have this wonderful resource that I'm encouraging to use. We have a prayer team standing by online waiting to pray for you. These people have a passionate and love for prayer. And they'd be more than happy to talk with you. You'll see a link up on your screen. All you got to do is follow that Zoom link. And you can actually pick who you'd like to pray with. So maybe you're like, you know what? I really like a brother. I really just want to talk to a man about this. Maybe you want to, uh, you're like, I really want to talk to a sister. I really just need to talk to a woman about this. You can pick who you want to talk to. Online church. Please, take advantage of this wonderful research. So church, as we sing, remember that peace resides in Jesus Christ. No one else. It's not in that bottle. It's not in that relationship. It's not found on the news. It's not found scrolling the internet trying to find something to make you feel better to give you hope. It's found in Him. He said, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. It's a gift. It's your choice right now. Choose to dwell in His peace, in His victory.